0: One of the enemy's most common tactics is to paralyze people in a crisis of faith. Um, Believers who are stuck in the quicksand of doubt do not live up to the potential, their own potential in the kingdom. They're crippled by doubt. Satan uses doubt and deception to war against our soul, to sideline soldiers in God's army. So many of us drift into doubt from time to time. It's like uh, that's the current that the culture we live in is pulling, right? It's the, the undertow, if you will, of our culture, pulling us away from trusting God and trusting his word. But God wants his children to be confident in him. You agree? God wants us to know we can trust him. He wants us to know he's powerful and able. He wants us full of joy and living faithfully until Christ comes. God wants your full confidence. So next week we begin a new sermon series. And I'm real excited about it. A a short series of messages through the short letter of 1 John. And um, John the Apostle writes this letter in a day when a, a lot of people, a lot of believers were doubting. And some even defecting from the faith, turning their backs on the Lord. And he writes this whole letter for one main purpose. And it's in 1 John 5, but he says this, so that you may know that you have eternal life. So we're going to spend a few weeks in the letter of 1 John beginning next Sunday. And I want to encourage you to come. I think it'll be a blessing to you to check in for that series. But today we conclude a four-part uh, message series on prayer. We've been calling this Pray Big. We, we have a big God, right? So we should pray uh, in proportion to the God that we believe in. So um, we can lift our eyes from the smallness of everyday circumstances And do what Jesus said in Matthew 6. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto us. So this is the the kind of prayer we've been seeking. Jesus promises that when we pray kingdom first prayers, he'll take care of everything else. So church, um, this morning we we sang big. I want to know if you're praying big. Are you praying like you believe what we just sang? That no matter the circumstances, we pray to a God who's already won. Right. Every powerful movement of God, every revival, every uh, evangelistic movement, all of them began with prayer. The people of God praying the will of God in the spirit of God. These are the ingredients for the coming kingdom. Of God, And Jesus said, pray this way, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. We are to be people who are bringing the kingdom through prayer. So I love seeing God do the kinds of things that no person can take credit for. Don't you love that? Uh, this morning we got a beautiful picture of that through baptism. Uh, there's no one who can take credit for the Lord opening the eyes of a 77 year old man or a 20-something-year-old college student. There's no person who can take credit for that. That's the goodness of the gospel. And that's the the Spirit of God opening the eyes of, of people who need Jesus. And so we pray big asking that our God would continue to work like that. So that He will do things that no person can say, look what I did. No, we'd have to say, oh my gosh, look what God has done. And so today we want to continue asking the Lord to do God things. Oh, God. Would you give us the nations? Making us disciples who make disciples of all nations. Jesus, this is huge, like it's too big for us. And that's the point. It is too big for us. Apart from God, we fail. But with God, we're a part of what you're doing in this world, building your kingdom. Lord, would you do it in such a way that only you can get the credit? Amen. All right, find your place in James chapter 5. I want you to think with me about prayer for a moment. James chapter 5. When the church was just beginning in the book of Acts, Jesus told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem and pray. They spent a long time. I wonder how dedicated we all would be if the Lord said, I want you to wait here and pray. Because they waited and prayed in that upper room for about 10 days or more. That's quite a long prayer service. Um. You know, they say if you want to thin the crowd at your church, just um, call the people to prayer. That's a really unfortunate reality. Jesus called his disciples to stay and wait and pray. And that's what they did for about a week and a half, maybe two weeks. They prayed and worshiped Jesus. And then he sent his spirit. The Spirit of God came in power and through spirit-filled preaching of the gospel, thousands were saved. Immediately, God is beginning to do crazy, God-sized things. And here's the reality. God moves in power when His people pray in faith. God moves in power when His people pray in faith. I want you to think about this word faith as it relates to prayer for a moment. I just want to highlight a few stories through the Bible. Faith is fueled by a burden. Some of you in the room today have got a heavy burden on you. And that is fueling your prayer. It's like every time you open your mouth to pray, that's the thing you just can't help go to because you're burdened by it. Well, that's not uncommon and it's not wrong. Nehemiah prayed because his heart was broken. He was devastated that the city of God was in ruins and was in collapse, the Bible says he was burdened, and so he prayed. Faith is fueled by burden. Faith is desperate. Esther, she called for a fast and called for prayer throughout the whole city or throughout the country. She called for a fast and prayer because she knew that if God didn't come to the rescue, it would cost her her life. So faith is desperate. Faith is passionate. When we pray in faith, I'm describing how to pray in faith. It's passionate. Daniel prayed even when it had been forbidden by his government. Now listen, there are certain things that call for civil disobedience. If the government forbids you to pray, disobey. Daniel was forbidden to pray, but he was too passionate about prayer. He did it anyway. He knew the consequences. And his passion to pray was honored by God when they threw him into the den of lions with hungry, fierce animals. And God provided by shutting their mouths. Faith is passionate. Faith is fervent. It's another word for passion, but fervent. We're going to read about Elijah today. He prayed fervently that it would not rain. For three and a half years, God didn't let it rain on the earth. That's wild. That's wild. Right. And then he prays again and the heavens gave rain. Well, faith is fervent, but faith. Now, listen, all those things really mean nothing apart from this reality. Faith looks to Jesus. Faith looks to Jesus. Peter and John healed a lame man in Acts chapter three, walking past him. And he was needy and he begged for money. And they said, we don't have any money, but what we have will give to you. Get up and walk. And he was healed in the name of Jesus, right? And later, Peter and John get in trouble for that. They're asked, you know, by, by what name and in whose authority? How are you doing these things? Basically, they said, and he said, they said to him, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. There is no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved only through Jesus. So faith is. His faith in Jesus. He's the source. All that being said, James begins his letter. We didn't read and study the whole book. We've just kind of been uh, picking and choosing a bit here. But James begins this letter telling us to consider it pure joy when we face trials. I don't know about you. That's a challenge to me, right? When I face difficulty and a challenge, I don't usually... Apart from Christ, I don't usually consider it pure joy. But James is telling us that these trials are meant by God to strengthen us, to give us perseverance, endurance, character, all those things. And now he wraps up this letter with a call to take our struggles and our successes to the Lord in prayer. So James chapter five, um, we stand in honor of God's word. And just so you know, I was asked about this this week. Um, this is uh, going back all the way to the tradition among the Jews when in Jesus' day. When they would come to the synagogue for uh, the, the, the study the preaching of the Word of God, they would open the scroll and all the people would stand. They would stand in honor of the Word of God. And then when they roll the scroll up for the sermon, everyone, including the preacher, would sit. And it was a picture to the people to say the most important words being spoken are God's words. And everything else is just talk. So that's the reason we do that for this moment is to stand in honor of this book to say to God and to all of us, this is the most important word that will be spoken today. James chapter 5 verse 13 And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Oh, God in heaven. You spoke, and the world was created. You spoke, Lord Jesus, and the winds and the waves submitted to your command. You spoke and Lazarus came out of the grave. Your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And today we are here to listen and believe. Forgive us, Lord, for going our own way and help us today to trust in you. Have your way, King Jesus. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Would you be seated? All right. When you pray, what do you expect to happen? Are you expectant in prayer? I mean, do you really believe that God is going to do the things you're asking him to do? James began this letter with a a warning. He, He said, uh. We should not doubt when we ask from God in prayer. And he goes on to explain that the doubter shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord. If you don't believe God can or will. Or you don't believe God cares. You probably won't pray. So faith is what fuels prayer. It just is that we pray when we believe there's a God who cares. And maybe he can intervene. Now, for some of us today in this room and maybe some joining us online, if you're honest with yourself, you need a breakthrough in prayer. The truth is, every time you get on your knees to pray, you don't have the faith to ask from God. And maybe that's because he's disappointed you. He didn't do something the way you wanted him to. or I don't know why that is. Maybe you've been through a struggle that didn't turn out the way you'd hoped or prayed. and So there's, there's doubt embedded into your soul. And when you go to pray, you know it's there and it's like a blocker. You just can't get through it. I want to ask you to do something today, right now. Would you just close your eyes? And say, Jesus, I need a breakthrough in prayer. Would you ask him for that today? I want to take a look at what James and what the Lord is trying to teach us through the ending of this little book. I want us to actually start with the end. I want to start with the the illustration, the example he uses of Elijah. I think that helps to kind of give the broader picture of what the rest of the teaching is about. So let's start with this reference to Elijah and the crazy stuff that God did through his prayers. The first truth James teaches us is he is like us. Did you see that in the book? He said, now, Elijah, he's a man just like us. Why, I wonder, does James begin that way? He begins that way because it's our tendency when we read things like this that seems so extraordinary. Our tendency is to remove ourselves as far away from that extraordinary super Christian, super faith kind of a person. And James is preempting your tendency and mine to do that by saying, no, no, no. Now, look, Elijah's not a superhero. He's just like you. Flesh and bone. We like to read stuff like this and we go, well, he's exceptional. He's really good at praying. I'm not really good at praying. Elijah, oh yeah, he was that super Christian. And we find a way to put such a gap, such a separation between us and these superhero people of the faith. That we have good excuses for why our lives don't resemble theirs. But James knows that we do that. And so he's beating you to the punch. And what he's telling you is Elijah isn't special. Prayer is. You didn't catch that. Elijah isn't special. Prayer is. It's special to come before God. And you and I have the same access to the same power that Elijah did. That's the radical truth. The the point of prayer is not the specialness of the one praying. No, it's the one to whom we pray. This is powerful. If we get a grip on this reality, it would radically change how we pray. We all have the same access to the same powerful God through Jesus Christ. So powerful prayer trusts in the source of power. Do you know what you're doing when you, when you look at guys like Elijah? Or somebody maybe around you that you really admire their faith and their prayer life or whatever you think, wow. Well, but they're really good at that. What you are essentially doing is saying, you know, when I pray, I'm, it's not really to the same. It's not near as powerful. And James is saying, no, Elijah is just like you. He's not special. Prayer is. What about Elijah? It says he prayed fervently. James tells us he prayed fervently. What does fervent mean? Well, Webster says it means a passionate intensity. Okay. So as it relates to prayer, let me suggest two words. Passion and persistence. We've already, we've already talked about these, so I won't labor the point. But here's what I mean. Elijah prayed with with uh, all the urgency that, that his heart could muster. Right. And he prayed consistently like he he wasn't given up. I think of Jacob who wrestled with God, you know, and um, the Lord said, let me go. And he's like, no, I'm not letting you go until you bless me that moment. that's the kind of persistence and passion in prayer that is this word fervent. So James says Elijah prayed with passion, and persistence. But what did he pray for? He prayed for a drought of judgment. Now, why would he want to stop the rain? I don't know about you, but I've never prayed for God to stop the rain. But why did Elijah pray that way? Where did this idea come from? Did he just, you know, think, hey, it'd be really cool stop the rain? no. This is very important. In 1 Kings 17 and 18, this is where we read the details of this story. And what we find is that the people of God were deep into idolatry. They brought in the Baal, is what we're talking about, the idols of Baal. And they're worshiping this God named Baal, praying to and worshiping and asking these idols to do for them what only God can do. Well, Elijah knew What God had warned before. Elijah knew God's word. Now in Deuteronomy chapter 11. The Lord warns. And he says these words. In Deuteronomy 11. I'll start in verse 16. The Lord says take care lest your hearts be deceived. Deceived. And you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. And listen, he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain. And the land will yield no fruit and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving to you. Isn't this interesting? Elijah didn't just pull this out of thin air. No, he knew the word of God. And he looked around him and he saw the idolatry was a perfect picture of what God had said. This is if if my people turn away from me and give themselves to idols, I will grow angry and I will shut up the heavens. And so Elijah says, Lord, I'm looking at your people. They're worshiping Baal. They're worshiping these idols. I'm asking you, God, shut up the heavens. Do you see what the fervent prayer of a righteous man and why it availeth much It's because he prays the word of God. Elijah was praying God's word. Listen, the prayer that moves heaven starts in heaven. God works when we pray his word. Powerful prayer fervently calls on God to be faithful to his own promises. So many of us run into God's presence saying, Lord, listen, your servant is speaking. (laughs) But we ought to be praying, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And it's from that posture That we come to God and we pray powerfully because we've heard from him, we've read his word, we know what he wants to do. And now we pray in accordance with his will and his word and God moves in power. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. So Elijah prayed fervently. James tells us. Then he prayed again. He didn't go away from what worked. Now, a lot happened between the prayer to stop the rain and the prayer for rain to come again. There was three years of drought. So the Lord spoke to Elijah many times through that time frame. And I want to track for a moment some of this story because it's helpful for us. The Lord spoke to Elijah and said, hey, the drought's coming. I want you to go and camp out by this brook of water. That's where you're going to drink, and I'm going to send birds every day to feed you. Ravens are going to come and feed you. That's crazy, right? Crazy. When the water dried up from the brook, the Lord spoke again and told him to go to a neighboring city and, and live with a widow and her son. And that the widow would feed him. Well, he got there and the widow said, Sir, we, we don't actually have any food. I've got this much flour and this much oil and there's not even enough here for us to bake one, one loaf of bread. And Elijah said, get to bake it. <laughs> The Lord will provide. And it's amazing. Every scoop of flour, there was more in there. She poured oil and there was more in there. And that went on for years. The Lord provided and provided and provided. He was faithful to his word. Well, then the story, the plot thickens. The the widow's son gets sick, very sick and dies. And she turns on Elijah. She turns to him and she says, have you just come here to expose my sin and bring the judgment of God so that my son is dead? And Elijah prays again. He Takes the boy in his arms upstairs to his bedroom in the widow's home. He lays him on the bed and he gets on his knees. He says, God, did you bring me here just to kill this boy? Please, Lord, let him live. And Elijah lays his body on top of this dead man. He gets off of him. He prays again. Lord, let him live. Breathe life into his body. Lays on him again. Then the boy breathes. Life. God shows himself powerful, not just to stop rain, not just to feed with birds and provide a brook, not just to fill a jar of flour and a jar of oil, but to breathe life into dead men. Elijah carries the boy downstairs and says, Look, woman, your son lives. That's powerful. And she said, Now I know that the word you speak is the Lord's and that he is faithful. Hmm. Then the Lord spoke to Elijah again. The Lord told him it's time for the rain, but not till there's a showdown. So Elijah summoned, he went to King Ahab and uh, he summoned the prophets of Baal and they went to Mount Carmel. And maybe, you know, the story where Elijah challenged the God of Baal to a duel between that god and the real god. And they built altars on the mountain and Elijah said, "Hey, whoever's god is real will send fire from heaven to consume his altar." Are you are you good with this deal? And the prophets of Baal, there were 450 or so of them, they were like, "Yes, that's a great deal. We'll take it." So they began dancing and praying and singing and cutting themselves and doing all kinds of crazy things, asking Baal to do something. He did nothing. And Elijah said, well, maybe, you know, maybe he's in the bathroom. <laughs> Believe it or not, that is in the Bible. <laughs> Elijah said, well, you know, maybe he's asleep. I keep singing a little louder. Maybe he's asleep. And then when it came to be Elijah's turn, he got on his knees and he prayed. And I want to read to you what he said in 1 Kings 18 verses 36. 37, Elijah prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant, that I've done all these things at your word. We can't miss that, church. Elijah didn't go rogue. He was doing what the Lord was telling him to do. I've done all these things at your word. So answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. God sent fire and consumed everything, even dried up all the water that they had poured on the altars. The people saw it. They fell on their faces saying, O oh, Lord, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The Lord He is God. And then Elijah prayed again. He prayed again. He prayed again. Now, I think this next part is very important. So I'd like for you to read with me from 1 Kings 18. I think it'll be on the screen. 1 Kings chapter 18. If you have your Bible, you should look at it. Beginning in verse 41. And Elijah said to King Ahab, go up and drink, for there's the sound of the rushing of rain. Now, wait a minute. Is there any rain coming? Do they hear rain? Are people hearing rain at this point? No. This is a man of faith, right? A man who believes that the God who said it's time for the rain is sending the rain. So he's so confident, so full of faith, so bold. He goes before the wicked King Ahab and says, hey, man, sit down and have a meal because the rain is coming. That's bold. So Ahab went to eat and drink and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. He bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. I was reading a commentary that said that this was the posture of a woman giving birth. I thought that was really interesting. The commentary went on to say, uh, this is a portrait of Elijah laboring in prayer. I love that. I've never seen that before. He said to his servant, Elijah said to his servant, go up now and look toward the sea. And he went and looked and he came back and said, there's nothing. And Elijah said, well, go again. <laughs> I love that. And seven times they repeated this process. At the seventh time, he said, behold, there's a little bitty cloud like a man's hand. It's rising from the sea. And Elijah said, go up and say to King Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain overtake you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel in the hand of the Lord. Was on Elijah. And he gathered up his garment. And he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. This is remarkable, right? Can we just say the things that are happening in Elijah's life are um, extraordinary? And here's how James begins this story when he's trying to call to mind all of these things in his original hearers. He starts by saying, "He's not special." Elijah is a man just like you. The point of this story is to say that prayer is powerful. Prayer is powerful. I like these quotes. Robert Murray McShane says, "What an instrument it is this which God has put into our hands." Prayer moves him that moves the universe. A.B. Simpson said, our God has boundless resources. The only limit is in us. Our asking, our thinking, our praying, they're all too small. Our expectations are too limited. Prayer is powerful because in prayer we have access to the one who has all power. And He's our Father. Isn't that good? He is the good, all-powerful God. And He welcomes you in prayer. Now, knowing that prayer is access to the good, all-powerful God, now I want to teach through really quickly these principles from James. There's way more to cover here than we're going to cover today. But let me say this. When you're hurting, pray. Go to God when life is hard. James' teaching is geared toward endurance and patience in difficulty. He started the book that way. He said, consider it pure joy when you face trials. So now he's saying, when you hurt, when you're suffering, pray for God to help you endure. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and character. We pray in faith, believing God is sovereign, even in our suffering. Do you believe that? When life is hard, pray. When you're happy, praise, right, you got it. Here's the crazy thing, what we're seeing is that all the horizontal stuff we deal with, this earthly life, should drive the believer to a vertical encounter. Right. The, the sufferings of the horizontal lead us to pray the celebrations, the successes, the, the things that are wonderful should lead us to praise. <laughs> right. And James teaches us about that in James 1:17. He says that every good and every perfect gift is from above, from the father of lights. So when good is coming your way, let the praises go up when you're happy. Praise. He's the giver of all good things. Gratitude is a guardian of the heart. When you're happy, praise. When you need healing, this one's really important. Pray together. I want you to look at all the things that James is teaching us here. And there's, again, more here than we have time for this morning. But here's what he says. The word and this word sick means more than just physical illness. Illness, it actually means that you're weak. Your soul, your spirit is beat down and you are weak. The burden is so heavy you can't even come to church to ask the elders and pastors to pray for you. You've got to send for them to come to you. It's weakness. And he says when you're when you're weak and you need healing, pray together the, the point of this teaching right here about sickness is really about community. It's about the, the healing power of God found in the community of faith that you're not meant to bear heavy loads alone. Physical suffering can also impact your spiritual life and your spiritual life can cause physical suffering. They're more interconnected than we like to believe. James actually says, if there's sin. By that, he's saying sin is not always the direct cause of some kind of ailment. Right. You know that. Right. So that when when we suffer physically, it's not always because, you know, you told a lie yesterday. God's getting you back. That's not always how that rolls. I mean, we look at Job. The story of Job is a perfect example. He suffered a lot. Had boils of leprosy all over his skin his friends came to him and were like what did you do man to deserve all this and the teaching in job is that's not the case job was a righteous man he was upright all that suffering was to test his faith john chapter 9 they they bring a blind man to jesus who'd been blind from birth and they said who sinned this man or his parents and the, the logic there is every time there's something wrong is because God is smiting us. And James is saying, if you sinned, it's not always the condition of suffering. But if you've sinned, what does he say? Confess your sins one to another. Again, it's the value of community that we're in this thing together. James says to call the elders and anoint with oil. And here's the main idea. In the name of the Lord. This is the key to powerful praying. What does it mean to pray in the name of the Lord? Well, it it means it's not. It means to do something um, as his representative to. This is what Jesus would do. Or this is what Jesus wants to have done. I'm so confident that. This is what the Lord wants. I'm praying in his name It's when you say in Jesus name, that's not putting the stamp on your holy envelope to it. you send it to heaven, it's not like the good tagline at the end of your prayer. It's way deeper than that. It means you're praying according to his will. According to his will, it means you're asking and expecting his power. And it means you are aiming for his glory. Now listen, there's not a one of these that you can miss. We don't always know God's will in every situation, so this is tough. We don't always know. I think about Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 when he prayed and prayed and prayed three several times. The Lord, take this thorn in the flesh from me. And God said, No. I actually want you to have that because in your weakness, I'll prove myself strong. My grace is sufficient for you. Sometimes the Lord uses suffering. We don't always know what he wants us to pray. And so we pray our hearts out. We pray his word. We trust his character. We pray our hearts out and we lay it all before him. Trusting that he will work according to his will. That's what it means to pray in Jesus name. We also pray asking and expecting his power. Our prayers are access to a powerful God. We pray big because he's big. We acknowledge him as the source. I love the way Paul prayed in Ephesians 3.20. He said, now to him who is able to do abundantly, exceedingly more than we could ever ask or imagine. That's how you pray to a God of all power. And then. We aim for his glory. Did you notice how Elijah prayed? He set the bullseye of his prayers on God's glory, even among his enemies. And We can be certain that we are praying God's will when we pray for his glory. Now, These are ingredients to kingdom first praying. I realize my time is gone, so I'm going to move really quickly. The Bible says that the fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. So what is it that makes a man righteous? This is a big question. It's very important. And here is the good news of the gospel. Faith in Jesus Christ makes a man righteous. When James is writing this passage he is not saying that the more holy, the super holy, get their prayers answered because they're more righteous. The semi holy, maybe. That's not his teaching. He's saying the righteous man prays and God works. Now, how is a man made righteous? Righteous. Listen, we are made righteous, not by our sweat, but by his blood. It is not your effort that makes you in right standing with God. It's his grace. If you don't know Christ, well, that will definitely be an issue in your prayer life. Listen, you can be a follower of Jesus today. He came to save sinners like me and you. That's all of us. He he died so that you could be forgiven and have a relationship with him. He rose from the dead so that we would know he has all power to do all that he promised. He alone can save. Will you trust him today? So ultimately, James is saying this. Pray fervently, Christian. Christian. Your prayers are powerful because God is powerful. Amen. Amen. Fill your prayers with the word of God. Ask the father to work powerfully for the good of others and for the glory of his great name. And this is how we pray in power. It's how we pray in faith. Now, I do hope that we leave here encouraged and inspired by the example of Elijah. But there is a better prophet the ultimate mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Now, like Elijah, Jesus also knew what it was like to live on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Jesus also cared for the widow. Jesus also raised the dead. Jesus also fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and Jesus knew the power of prayer. But unlike Elijah, Jesus never sinned. His ministry was not the pouring out of God's judgment on a deserving people. No, but absorbing God's wrath on an undeserving Savior and pouring out God's grace on undeserving people. And now the Lord Jesus is interceding. Jesus is praying for us. We are saved through his death and resurrection, and we are sustained by his prayers. Today, we look to Christ as our hope. Like Elijah, we take and pray with great confidence. What seems to be just a tiny cloud today will fill the sky with his glory in the days to come. Amen. Amen. Because our great king is faithful and will reign forever.